What the hell's the name of this thing? The Ballsy Podcast. Hosted by the award-winning Evan Grant. This has been the most tense podcast I have ever done. Kevin Sherrington. Do we want to compare bylines? How many? Barry Horn. We're supposed to keep this thing moving, be fresh. Get ready for the most listened to sports podcast in Dallas-Fort Worth. I'm Evan Grant, and this is Ballsy. I'm Kevin Sherrington, and in this episode, we'll be talking about Mavericks. And I'm Barry Horn. To hear our other exciting additions, simply subscribe to the Ballsy Podcast on iTunes. You know we're on Facebook and Twitter, too. Just search Ballsy Podcast. That's Ballsy with a Z. So sit back, relax, that's relax with an X, and enjoy another edition of the Ballsy with a Z Podcast. Joining us now, the voice of the Dallas Mavericks television broadcast, Mark Followell. Mark, great to have you on with us. Thanks for taking the time. As always, hello to Kevin, hello to Barry. Hope you guys are doing great today. Kevin, do you feel a little inferior when you talk to Mark and you hear that voice come? And I feel a little inferior all the time. Yeah, but uh, but other than that, yes, yeah, it is it is a great voice. You know, uh, I, I have spent my whole life trying to emulate uh, people like Mark Followell. Mark, do you have your voice insured? I've, it's funny. I've spent my whole life trying to emulate guys like you, and so uh, I can't. I can never turn a phrase. I can never write the way that you guys can. So I mean that. I, I, one of my one of my great admirations in life is the ability to write. And uh, at this time in our world, when when a uh, when when things are kind of strange in terms of how people view the media, I think that and, and of course writing extends way beyond the media. It extends to writing books and writing magazine articles and things like that. But the ability to communicate through the written word is and, and communicate effectively and have people feel like you're being truthful is more important than it's ever been. You know, so, you know what? I truly admire that. You know, Mark, you know what they'd rather us do here is communicate through emojis. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, goodness. Well, I mean, say, there's a lot to be said for emojis. I use them in text and tweets every once in a while, too. So I, don't think I've, I, don't, I don't think I've ever used an emoji. Uh, You're too old. I'm too old to use an emoji. I think that's the problem. you got to be a young guy like Mark. Yeah, I don't know. Okay. Yeah, no, no, okay. Right. <laughs> got to get hip to those things, Kevin. Come on now. No kidding. All right. So speaking of hip, uh, let's talk about somebody who is on the brink, on the cusp. As we speak now, now by the time that someone listens to this, he may have already have... Uh, uh, Landed on the other side of that immortal boundary of 30,000 points, uh, Mr. Dirk Nowitzki. He's 20 points away going into Tuesday night's game against the Los Angeles Lakers. Um, I think there's certainly a pretty significant chance it happens then. Uh, it sounds to me, based on some of the comments that were made after Sunday's game, that within the framework of the game, I mean, clearly the Mavs are trying to win games here. So I don't think it's going to turn into what happened in the Lakers finale last year when Kobe got 60, where it was just an all-out effort for him to put up as many points as possible. I think within reason there will be an effort to get it done as soon as possible, and that puts the Tuesday night game with the Lakers on the radar. If it's not Tuesday, then one would have to surmise it's got to be Friday at home against Brooklyn. So I think the great thing about this is, is it's going to happen at home. Uh, you know, Some recent dirt scoring milestones have all been on the road, 25,000 was on the road, passing Moses Malone for seventh and passing Shaq for sixth. Both of those were also on the road as well. So I was looking yesterday at the history of the other five individuals who have reached the 30,000-point plateau, and only one of them did it at home, and that was Michael Jordan while he was playing with Washington. 
coincidentally against Chicago um, in, in January of 2002, and he did it on a free throw. So but, now there's a chance for, for the other four guys all did it on the road in some strange circumstances. Wilt, it was a goaltend when Wilt reached 30,000 on the road against Phoenix back in 1972, and who, who, Kareem what, did who, it on a free throw too. So. Mark, who goaltended? Who, who goaltended uh, Wilt's shot? Do you, do you recall? Okay, so that is a wonderful question. The, the, I read a story and, and that, that, that mentioned it and said it was Neil Walk that goaltended the shot. So I looked on YouTube, and I actually found one clip. There was only one clip that I could find, and it's very hard to me to tell on the replay. Was it Neil Walk, who's guilty of the goaltend, or was it the great Connie Hawkins, who was oh. guilty of the goaltend? So it was... So was then, it, how, how, how far out was the shot? Uh, it was a tip-in. It, it was a layup attempt, and it was bouncing around on the rim. So oh, it was... Okay. It was more, it wasn't a goaltend in what we think of the truest fashion of a shot goes up and a person blocks it on the way down. This was more of a defender trying to get it away from the basket for a defensive rebound and touched it while it was in the cylinder. So there was, it was a goaltend like that. It wasn't even a good goaltend. It wasn't even like, hey, I'm blocked wilted of the third row, but I goaltended the shot. No, yeah. it was a very, it was a very strange one that everybody hesitated for a second and the referee counted the basket, but... But, yeah, so I watched a video, and it was either uh, the, the now late Neil Walk or Connie Hawkins, one of the two, uh, would have been the player that would have goals ended it. Well, I, I'm, I'm going to prefer to believe it was Neil Walk because Neil Walk is the answer to a great trivia question also, I think, because you're in my wheelhouse now. He was the second pick in the draft that the year he was drafted. Do you know who the first pick was? What year was Neil Walk drafted? Well, I could tell you who the first pick was. He can't tell you the year. I don't, I'd say 16, 60, after the 69 season. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Correct. Right? Or Lou Alcindor. Correct. So yeah. could you imagine? Okay. You, you get the first pick of the draft, you get Lou Alcindor or Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Second pick in the draft, you get Neil Walk. <laughs> <laughs> consolation prize. Now, yeah, it's, the it's, whole funny of, think back, it's funny to think back about those late 60s and early 70s drafts, and you see some of the unique first overall picks. You know, in the late set, or the early 70s, I'm sorry, there was a draft where Doug Collins, yes. who we now know way more as a coach and as an Olympian and as a broadcaster, he was the number one pick in the draft. And Rudy Tomjanovich was the number one pick in the draft back in the late 60s as well. Rudy T, you know, that, that's, yeah. that kind of my wheelhouse there. He was a rocket. Uh, so you That know. was San Diego. It was. It was the San Diego Rockets. Uh, and, you know, the thing that, that people don't remember about uh, Rudy T was that he would shoot a bank shot from about 18 feet. You know, it, really? he was, yes, it wasn't like he was always uh, shooting a bank. You know, like, no one uses the glass now unless they're like you know, three feet away. But he would yeah. shoot it from he would shoot it from that far out. It was it was an amazing thing to watch him shoot and the things he would do. He was an interesting player. Now that we've yeah. lost now that we've lost everybody under the age of sixty. Yeah. Let's uh. let let, let, <laughs> let, me, let me just ask you this though. Can you name the first round draft pick every I mean, the first pick of the draft every year? Oh gosh. Um Let's see. This year was Ben Simmons. He didn't play. 2015 would be what? Carl Anthony Towns. 2014 was Andrew Wiggins. 2013 was Anthony Bennett, who is not even in the league now. That's crazy to think about. <laughs> yes, it is. 2012 would have been Anthony Davis. The first pick of the 2011 draft was Kyrie Irving. The first pick of the 2010 draft was John Wall. The first pick of 2009 was Blake Griffin. 2008 would be Derrick Rose. 2007, 
I like the way you're doing this. I know you're reading it off a list, but you're <laughs> no, you're, 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 ma- you're making it sound like it's all coming. That's no, what no. I would do. Because I, I know that because '06 was Andrea Bargnani. Uh, the first pick of the '07 draft. I'm trying to think of who even would have had the first pick back in 2007. Uh, that's that's very that's very impressive. Oh, 2007, Greg Oden. Greg Greg, Oden. Oh my God, oh. the Kevin Durant, Greg Oden question. Yeah, yeah, Greg Oden was one, and Kevin Durant was two. Yeah. 2006 was Barnyani. Um, 2005, I'll have to come back to it. 2004 was Dwight Howard. 2003 was obviously LeBron. 2002 was Yao Ming. 2001 was. One of those in there, 2000 or 2001. One was Kwame Brown. I can't remember which one. Uh, the Kwame. One of the two. Was, was Tyson Chandler in that in that draft? Well, I think he was the number. I think he was the second pick in whatever draft that he was in. Yeah, I, I think the. I think, I think, think the, it was I think the key so. to these picks is that whenever someone's really gone wrong on a draft pick, it's always been for a center. Yeah, that's true. Uh, yeah. Every and, and you know it's interesting to me to watch. Although, the, Bennett, although Bennett was more power. Bennett was kind of. I mean, the problem with Anthony Bennett was that he was he was. He was a six-eight player who played like a four, but didn't, but 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 yeah. still didn't have a big enough body and didn't have what a modern four needs to have, and was too slow-footed to be a three at six-eight. So yeah, that was that would be kind of one example of where uh, and Bargnani too. I mean, I don't think of Bargnani as a center, and and I think of him. They were trying to emulate Dirk and be a stretch four whenever he got picked. So. Right. Well, I think, I think the key is is the big man, and I and I'm wondering now, and, and watching, uh, you know, watching basketball now, you know, when when Barry and I were covering college basketball back in the '80s, the glory days, the glory days. I mean, everybody had a great big man, and everybody yeah. wanted a great big man, and that was, and even in college basketball, you had you had great big men in this state, uh, and now you can't find one of those anywhere. They're very difficult to find, but the game has evolved away from that uh, to having that kind of uh, big man anyway. Uh, certainly, they're right. more athletic now, and and uh, and the size isn't as. I mean, the length is very important, obviously, but it used to be back then they were. You know they were uh, battleships. You know you. Well, now and now, clearly, what you got to have, and I think this is why the Mavs made the trade they made for Nerlens Noel. The five that you have to have in the modern NBA game, the boxes that have to be checked off are: Are you mobile? Can you provide rim protection? Can you, you know, especially if you're the kind of mobile player who can help on pick and rolls on the perimeter. You can show hard. You can be switched on to a, uh, a guard in a pick-and-roll situation. I mean, those are the defensive things that need to be checked off, and, and obviously Nerlens Noel meets those. And the offensive thing is can you be a rim threat? Can you be a finishing at the rim threat through lobs and things like that, um, you know, or putbacks or whatever? Primarily just, you know, can you help space the floor for everybody else by being enough of a threat as a roller on pick and rolls that defenders are going to have to honor you as someone who has the ability to finish at a high rate around the rim. So those are the things that a center needs to do now. And, and fortunately, the Mavs have gotten that guy, and, and he has a bright future, and, and Nerland's Noel. So it, does he have, and, and certainly I'm on board with all of that, and, and to me the, the, the biggest thing you've got to have. Who wouldn't be? No, 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 but I mean, but, no, but if you look from a, specifically from a defensive standpoint, the rebounding, uh, you know the, the rim protection. The, those were the things where there were obvious holes in the Mavericks game yes. uh, so far. But 
Is he going to be uh, enough of an offensive threat? Because what we have seen now is that that you got to have offense from all five spots. And yeah. uh, is he going to be enough of an offensive threat other than just the because because I, I think he has more offensive potential than Tyson Chandler has uh, and had uh, when he was here with the Mavericks. But is it going to be enough? I think so. I mean, to me, you know, when I see if you're going to just break it down into three categories for a big guy of offense, defense, and then if you're going to put rebounding as their own sort of standalone category. I mean, I think offensive potential is there. We already see elite finishing ability at the rim. We've seen a handful of short jump shots, some of which have gone in, some of which have not. I don't think Tyson ever had to really ever take anything outside of the elbow. No. And I don't think ultimately, I know that Noel was trying to do more than that in Philadelphia. I don't think he'll ever be asked to do that very often, anything more than the elbows here in Dallas. So I don't, I don't, I, I think that everything that he'll need to do offensively is going to be there. He's not going to create much of that. It's all going to be contingent on having the right kind of guard to run a pick and roll with and somebody who can execute you know, a lob pass. And I, I would think that most players can, can handle that basic task. Um, so I think he's a threat in that regard. I think defense is there. I mean, if I were going to look at the one thing, I mean, the rebounding numbers over the course of his career, because he's a pretty slender guy, um, you know, it, we're not talking about eye-popping rebound numbers. When he had 17 in the game the other night against Memphis, um, that was his that tied his career high. Right. And you know, the elite centers of the league now: Gobert, Whiteside, Drummond, Jordan. I mean, those guys. I, I, I don't know if I would say routinely, but they have several games of the of the year where they're collecting 20 rebounds or up in that neighborhood. And 17 the other night by Noel tied his career high. So I think that's something that uh, is going to need to get better, and that gets better with strength. And I hope that his being in Dallas will will lend itself to that because I think that's one of the real advantages that the Mavs have is they've got a they've got a real uh, cutting edge strength and training and conditioning group in terms of all of those who oversee those programs. And I think that they'll do everything possible to get him bigger and stronger in terms of helping him be a better rebounder, but also helping him be a more durable player. Keep in mind, this is somebody who's had a couple of significant injuries in the early part of his career. So, uh, you know, you'll want to make sure that, that uh, he meets one of the most important abilities, and that's availability. Going well, forward. But he is only, what, 22 years old? Yeah, 23 in about a month. Yeah. So, he's, so he's, there's room to, to make that body grow. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely, and I think he's in. I think given given uh, you know the nature of the, the staff that Dallas has here in that regard, I think he's in a really, really good place for that. Now, let me ask you this: because when they brought in centers over the, I mean, really starting with Tyson Chandler, who you know, I, I, it's still amazing to me when we look back at when at when the Mavs signed Tyson Chandler. There was not it was a lot like when the Rangers signed Adrian Beltre. Not a, not a like there was oh my gosh you know we've added Tyson Chandler this is the this is the key piece this is it we're on our way uh, and, and matter of fact even after the championship that was kind of the attitude when he went out the door a little bit right. um, uh, what is it though about this system and Rick Carlisle's system that allows the the centers to uh, flourish uh, and, and maybe and sometimes uh, and maybe in, in Tyson's case it was just a matter of it being healthy. Uh, here he'd been hurt before he came to, to the Mavericks, uh, but but what do you? But, but Zaza played very well here in this system and, and looked good, uh, and, and and others have as well uh, when they're healthy. What is it that you think about Rick Carlisle's system that helps? Well, I think that uh, the thing that helps more than anything is that a lot of times those centers are on the floor with Dirk, and so he has to be respected by another, uh, presumably 
fairly big player, a four or a five man. And so that, to me, is where the opportunity comes. So Rick's system, of course, is part of it and that you know they run so many pick and rolls, but they've had the kind of players who make running a pick and roll a good thing. I mean, Monte Ellis did it with Tyson and, um, you know, Jason Kidd, even though he yeah. wasn't as much of a threat to shoot, there was still a lot of pick and roll. And Jason Terry, even though he wasn't a prototypical point guard in late game situations, a two man play, a pick and roll or pick and pop could be run with Jason Terry and Dirk. But to answer your question, Kevin, I think that, uh, you know, Dirk's being on the floor and Rick's desire for other players on the floor to have the ability to shoot the ball opens up space for those centers. And then, you know, Dirk, or I'm sorry, Rick gives that center more rain than anybody else in terms of the freedom to go pursue offensive rebounds. I mean, that's really the five-man's responsibility in Rick's offense over the last few years because the other players need to be getting back in transition. They don't want to get their defense out of balance, so they want that guy going after offensive rebounds, which helps the rebounding stats. And they've just had the right guys who have been very good defensive rebounders in that position. Tyson, great rebounder. Uh, You know, Zaza is an underrated rebounder and had the best rebounding season of his career here last year at uh, over 90 games. So I would say all of those things are among the contributors to why some centers have flourished here. And, I mean, let's face it, I mean, that's why they wanted Jordan, because he met all of those things that you need a center to do, and Rick was going to give him the, the opportunity to do that even more so in this particular system. So now what happens, because uh, we, we see when, when guys get healthy and everybody's in the lineup, uh, that uh, when, when uh, Noel is at center and then Dirk slides to the four, and then uh, there's a domino effect here, uh, and, uh, and there's a question about who's on the floor at any, at any one time. What keeps, in your mind, uh, the, uh, the, the, the lineup from being Noel, Dirk, Barnes, Matthews? Number one, and uh, several reasons. Number one, Seth Curry's been playing extraordinarily well lately. I think you would have a hard time taking him out of the starting lineup. Mm-hmm. Number two, uh, Rick views Barnes primarily as a power forward. He views him as a four and not as a three. The third thing to that would be, I think still at this point, because they've hit on something that's working well for Dirk in terms of playing center this year, I don't think, at least right now, there, uh, Rick envisions Dirk as a bench player. Who knows if that changes next year, but at least based on what Rick has said right now, he doesn't view Dirk as being somebody that should be coming off the bench. And then the other aspect of it, too, is that I think that they're very mindful right now that, remember, Noel had a knee surgery right before the start of the season and didn't start playing regular season NBA games until the middle part of December. And I think the 35-minute game that he had against Memphis the other night where Rick had a sub at the table a couple of different times and there wasn't a stoppage in play, so you know that added an extra minute or two in two different occasions onto his total, so his minutes swelled up to 35. Well, Rick made a point to say this after the Memphis game Friday and before the Oklahoma City game on Sunday. It's very apparent to me that Rick does not want him getting his minutes up around 35 minutes a game. As a matter of fact, only the elite of the elite when it comes to big men right now, true bigs, are playing that kind of number. Carl Anthony Towns, uh, Anthony Davis, and, and players like that, those are the only bigs that are getting up. And Boogie Cousins and, and, and Gobert. I mean, we're talking about a very, very short list of bigs that are playing over 32 minutes a game right now. So, so with, his, with his health and wanting to, to you know, 
to make sure that they do the best they can to manage that for the rest of the year. I think that uh, those are all of the reasons why Noel as a starter is is only going to be maybe a, a matchup-based thing or uh, somebody else is out of the lineup injured, and so we'll slide him in as a starter. So it sounds to me like you're saying <clears> – <throat> excuse me, Mark. sounds to me like you're saying that uh, Rick would prefer not to be in the playoffs so Noel could get to, to rest in the offseason quicker. <laughs> I don't think he's saying that. <laughs> I, I, I don't. I don't think he's saying that. I, I'm. I'm. I'll, I'll. I'll have to circle back with him on that. But I don't believe that that's the case. I don't think. I think he just is. Uh, I think he's certainly on board with the minutes getting up to 30, and because of Dirk's unique situation and how they manage that uh, with shorter burst and keeping him in the high 20s. You know, and they played. I mean, I think you guys have seen. I mean, there have certainly been stretches. Uh, outside of the game where Noel started, there are stretches where Noel comes into the game off the bench and plays five. And when Dirk comes back in later on, he comes in as the four man when Barnes has gone out of the game. Mm-hmm. And, and you see like a Finney Smith, Dirk, Noel front line, for example. So they're playing some together. And that's allowing Noel's minutes, you know, to get up into the high 20s and near 30 a couple of times off the bench. And then obviously the 35 in the game that he started the other night. Do, do you know how the Noel draft came, uh, uh, trade came down? Uh, was it the Mavericks who pursued him heavily, or was it was Philly just calling everybody around the league? Or I think it was more the former. The, the Mavs, because of a, a positive relationship between Donnie Nelson and Brian Colangelo that dates all the way back to the Phoenix days and the 90s, right. because of the Colangelo family's connection to Phoenix, of course, and remember that Donnie was an assistant coach Yes, there. yes. Um, so I think that really was the genesis of it. I think, uh, you know, to hear it from the Maverick perspective, they have been periodically throughout the season making overtures and staying in contact with Philadelphia about the availability of Noel. Obviously, at the beginning of the year, he was hurt, so there wasn't anything you could really do then. But knowing that they had a glut of centers, knowing that uh, Nerland's Noel, by the way, changed agents this past year to Dan Fagan, who obviously we all understand based <laughs> yes. on past free agent signings and non-signings, that there's a connection there between the Mavs and Dan Fagan. So I think all of those things just kept uh, the Mavs in touch with Philadelphia periodically throughout the year, and then the deadline forced forced their hand on it. I mean, they shot to Okafor, and they couldn't get anything that they liked for Jaleel Okafor. They don't have to move him because there's no decision pending on Okafor since he's got you know another year before he's going to reach restricted free agency. But with Noel's looming restricted free agency and Embiid there and Noel there and Okafor there, then I think Philadelphia felt that the time was now to act, and, and Dallas was the most aggressive team, it sounds like, throughout the course of the season and willing to give up at least something, even though that he has a restricted free agency situation coming up this offseason. I thought I thought Barry was going to ask you something. I'm sorry. Uh, okay. He's always coming up dry on me like that. You know, it's like right when I'm counting on him for something, he he always lets me down. Uh, so so if we look at this situation, and you brought this up a little bit earlier for next year, uh, and I I think you know, and obviously I think this is the way to go with Noel, but it it, it certainly seems to be that this is what he's stuck to, or this is what he's sticking to in this lineup. Uh, then that 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 Dirk comes off the bench next year. And don't we think that maybe, and I think Dirk would be agreeable to that, don't you? I think he would be agreeable to it, yes. Yeah. And and, and considering, you know, where he is in his career and and, and uh, the mileage uh, on it, uh, that I think this is probably the best thing for him to do that. 
then this team becomes uh, uh, it's a different, uh, essentially a, a different personality. It really kind of is now, anyway, because Dirk is not the the offensive threat that he's been in the past. He is on occasion. Uh, he is still that, but he's not what he was before. Uh, I, I'm interested in what you think the the, the chemistry of this team will be going forward as it kind of starts to shake itself a little bit from, from the, the model that the, that the Mavericks have been built around ever since Dirk showed up, basically. You know, the thing that would be interesting to me about Dirk coming off the bench, by the way, is just we've never seen it. And, I mean, I certainly think that there's an argument for that, uh, for looking that direction next year. Um, the question will be is we've never seen him go through a layup line, a warm-up before a game, and then go sit on the bench for a few minutes and come in. And, and you know, it's just a different mindset. Yeah. It's something that he's never done in his career. So so there would probably be an adjustment to it. But I can certainly understand if if Rick feels the way that he feels about everything else. And that doesn't mean to say that, uh, you know, let's see what they, they how they feel about Seth going into the start of next year and how they feel about Yogi going into the start of next year and who they draft. I mean, there's still a lot of other dominoes to fall. Um, but I think certainly there's there's an argument to make for that whole notion of dirt coming off the bench. But as far as chemistry goes, I mean, I don't see any reason why there's going to be, I think it's going to be in terms of a lot of off-seasons with a lot of movement in the past. I think it will be relatively limited. I mean, it looks like to me they've got a young core of guys. Barnes is here for a while. There's no envisionable scenario in my mind where Nerlens Noel is going anywhere in the offseason. They love Seth, uh, and Seth has obviously taken a huge leap, like Rick said he was ready to do, and he's really taken that huge leap since he's gone into the starting lineup. Uh, they like Yogi as a young player, and you know who knows if he's a starter or a backup if you're talking about a good team years down the road, but he certainly is in a position to continue to have opportunities to play here and carve out a place for himself in whatever role it's going to be for many years going forward. And Benny Smith looks like somebody who's a keeper, and you know they've uh, they're just they've they've got a young group of guys. I mean, certainly Matthews is part of the culture. Uh, Mark loves him because of his grit and his determination and his leadership and his toughness and his defense. So I think you know he's obviously part of this thing for the foreseeable future. So from a chemistry aspect. You know, they're going to have a good draft pick. I don't know if it's as good as we thought it would be a few few weeks ago, but they'll have a good draft pick and, and a little something in free agency. I mean, they do have some cap room to use, so they'll have, you know, an addition there. But but I, I think the core of the team stays together and, and has a chance to build off the success they're having here at the end of the year. Sounds to me like you're saying or you're thinking that maybe if the right point guard's available, that's the way to go. I, I think you draft the best player available, but I do believe that the way things look right now, especially given the fact that there are five point guards who everybody thinks will be taken in the lottery, I would I would certainly be looking long and hard at that. I'm not 100% committed that it has to be that, but I would, I would definitely look at that at this point because their four men of the foreseeable future is here. Their five men for the foreseeable future is here. They have somebody who they like as a starting shooting guard and who they like as a starting small forward who are at least here for, you know, Seth's under contract next year and Wes is under contract for two years after that. So, I mean, you know, look at the positions and look at the needs. And, and you know, as, as Rick Goslin talks about in NFL draft coverage for you guys often, you do get yourself sometimes in trouble drafting on need. But, but there are really good point guards there, and, and I would have zero issue if that ends up being the way they, they go whenever that rolls around. So aren't they, aren't they screwing this up? 
Isn't that the problem, Mark? The team's winning now. Uh, the team is six and four over its last ten games. Is playing very well, and uh, and and now they they hit a, a stretch of the schedule where it's going to it's softening up a little bit, and and uh, and and this is the this is the worst case scenario, isn't it? No, I don't think it's the worst case scenario. <laughs> um, if 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 Bogut, are you reading your Twitter right now? Is that why you're saying that? <laughs> no. The worst case scenario. <laughs> no, no. Are you no. reading fan tweets right now? No. Um, no, they're you know they're fifteen and nine since Seth Curry went into the starting lineup in the Oklahoma City game on January twelfth. Uh, I'm sorry, in the Mexico City game against Phoenix on January the twelfth. I'm sorry, I'm just thinking Oklahoma City since they were here the other night. Uh, and beat them. So yeah, and so the thing about it is this: if if this were happening with on all due respect to these guys, if this were happening with Bogut and Darren Williams being two starting players who were out of contract at the end of the season and didn't appear like they had much future here, then that would be a problem. But the bottom line is the Mavs have 10 players 26 years old or younger on their roster as we speak today with a couple of guys here on 10 days. And they're starting a rookie point guarding Yogi and Seth's finally got his first real chance for consistent playing time in his career. And Barnes is 24 years old and gone from being a fourth option in Golden State to being a 1-1-A option here in Dallas. Uh, so with, and, and Finney Smith's playing off the bench, and they're bringing 10-day ten guy, guys in, and Nerlens Noel here is here now as a 22-year-old and about to turn 23-year-old player. So the fact that all of these things are happening with young players on the floor developing and getting better and tasting success. I mean, you know, you're not going to tell anybody to go out on the floor and not do their best. I mean, these guys, in the case of many of them, they're all paid a lot of money. Some are paid an extremely high amount of money to go out and compete and do the best that you can. And those guys are doing it, and it's resulting in wins. So, to me, young players are developing and getting better and growing, and I'd much, I'm much more concerned about how the people are getting better in my organization that are here right now than what I might have six months from now. So you you wouldn't want to add Markel Fultz to to this. Uh, I wouldn't want mix. to. Well, would, well, want, well to. but you, if they continue to win, that's not happening. Yeah, of course, it's not happening. Or Lonzo but Ball. I, I just don't think that I don't think that you can look at things like that. I mean, you have you have players here who you're bringing in here to be part of your future. And, I mean, I want a good draft pick as much as the next person and to be able to add a really talented player. But you have players here that you're paying a lot of money to go out and do their best, and I don't think anything is served by telling them not to go out and do their best. I mean, and, and the bottom line is this. I mean, look, it's all, it's all by and large part, pieces of the future, and in most cases, long-term pieces of the future that are out there absorbing and playing the heavy minutes right now. So, so, so the deal is you can't, obviously, and what you're saying is right. It's one thing to be uh, when they had Bogut and Darren Williams. It's one thing to be an old team and you're playing that team out there, and that's, that's, that's a disaster. Uh, they, yeah. They've traded. Well, nothing's being gained there. No, no, no. And then they're adding these young pieces, and they're getting – and this is one of the things Bogut said before the season started. He said, you, you can't believe what difference it makes – to, to do something other than what the Mavericks have been doing the last four or five years, which is completely remaking the roster every year, that it really, that it really means something to be able to bring these guys back, uh, essentially the core of the group back, you know, two, three years in a row. And then, then you really see a difference in, in, the, in the team and what it's like. Uh, you know, with all due respect to what Rick Carlisle has been able to do, that's been a phenomenal sure. thing. 
But right. having said all that, uh, you know, we, we do know that uh, there are ways to do it without – you'll never tell a guy don't go. Don't go full, you know, as, as, as good as you can be, you know. You, 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 you manipulate the minutes of guys and, and what they're doing and, and, and the rotations you run. And, then, and you, you know, you're not, you're not trying to tank games or anything like that, but you're, you're doing probably what you're doing right now. Uh, in my estimation, you're doing what you're doing with, with, with Noel and those people. And, those, and these things will probably play out uh, as, as they should. Uh, do you do you think uh, if you look at when you you mentioned you thought that there were five point guards uh, in this draft? Um, obviously, we we uh, Barry has mentioned the Markel Fultz and Lonzo Ball. Those are the two guys who are considered the can't miss prospects at the at the top of the draft. They'll be gone. Yeah, the first three and then it would be Den- Dennis Smith, Dennis Smith in North Carolina State, yeah. De'Aaron Fox in Kentucky, and the kid from France, Frank. Uh, that we can't pronounce. Tilakina. Yeah, I can't pronounce his last name. There's I, a lot I, of eyes. I don't in need there. to know it yet. So. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. You can work on that later. Yeah, those, <laughs> that, and, and, I, and I have read about him that if he were playing here, that uh, that he would probably be a higher uh, projected pick than he is right now because he mm-hmm. is projected probably to go at the back end of the lottery. Uh, right. I, I, you know, what do you think? Uh, just looking at the Mavericks' chances here, I guess right now they're two and a half games back of the Nuggets. Is that correct? That, That's correct. Yeah. Uh, now, what do you think that the Mavericks' chances are of catching the Nuggets? I still think it's significantly less than fifty percent. Really? I mean, I don't think it's I don't think it's a coin flip right now. I know they're about to hit a really favorable stretch of schedule this week, but the Mavs still have a four-game road trip out east and a five-game road trip that they've got to play late March, early April that has tough games on it as well. And they end the year with a road game in Memphis. So, and they've got a lot of tough home games. I mean, the rest of this week is. It's certainly you know not like that in terms of tough home games, but they have a home stand later this month. That's Golden State, the Clippers, the Raptors, and the Thunder. Well, in the so, short in the short term, Mark, I'm going to predict that if we call if we talk to you next week, the Mavericks will have beaten the Lakers, the Nets, and the Suns. Denver mm-hmm. will have lost to the Wizards and the Celtics, and they'd be tied for eighth. Yeah. Okay. Well, I I, I don't know that I necessarily think that Denver is a, a team that you would write down losses. To those other teams, they're good. Uh, I like their team. I love the way Jokic has taken a huge step forward, and I think as crazy as it is, I thought that, that the Greek freak that Giannis Adetokounmpo had the most improved player of the year wrapped up a month into the season, and there was no need to even really care about that race uh, if you do care about postseason awards, postseason awards to begin with. But I think Jokic is is in the conversation with Giannis for most improved player in the league. Yeah, he's and, terrific. He's yeah, fun to he's, watch. Uh, he's he is fantastic, and there's. I mean, Denver's the best rebounding team in the league. Uh, they play well on the road. They surprisingly don't play as well as they used to several years ago at home. But, but to me, I, the respect for their talent, the lead that they have, the remaining schedule that they have, which has a lot of tough games, but it also has some, some games that you would look at and think, okay, well, high probability of wins. Um, and at this point, you know, the, 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 they, they have a 2-1 season series lead on Dallas, and they play each other in game 81 of the year mm. here in Dallas as well. But the best the Mavs can do is split the season series, and at least right now, not to say that this couldn't change, but conference record is favoring Denver at this point. So uh, it's, it's two and a half back, Barry, but really it's three and a half because I think the way things seem to be shaping up, it's going to be difficult for the Mavs to have a tiebreaker with Denver. So three and a half to make up with 20 to play, uh, you know, certainly that's not out of the realm of possibility, but I don't think uh, it's as easy as you might think it is. Well, let's hope if it get, comes down to that game 81, uh, New Orleans comes up sore 
uh, a little sore knee, and uh, you know maybe, maybe Dirk misses misses misses, and Harrison Barnes misses too. So. If it's game 81 and something's on the line, I have a feeling that uh, nobody's going to have any uh, aches and pains that particular day. All right, so. now, we're going to let you go here, but I want to ask you one last thing, because this is the thing about this season, and, and, I, and I've been saying this for, for quite some time. You know, Mavericks fans have been very frustrated by, you know, what's the difference between being a lottery team and being the eighth seed and going one and done in the playoffs? But I will say this about this season. They got more done during this season than, than in any year, in my mind, since they won the title. I agree 100%. I mean, this has been – if you're going to say the season started July the 1st, whenever free agency began last summer, and you added Barnes and you added Seth Curry, and then you make a trade during the year for Nerlens Noel, and you bring in on a 10-day contract Yogi Ferrell – and you play Dorian Finney. Dorian Finney-Smith, by the way, is about to end up, by the end of the season, he will pass uh, a famous name in Mavs history, Walter Bond, for the most minutes Walter played Bond. by an undrafted rookie. Uh, so Finney-Smith had a, lot, a chance to play a ton this year as well. So, so I don't want him to get overlooked in terms of the development that has happened this year also, although I know we're not talking about great scoring numbers, but, but certainly a 3 and D player going forward. So with, with what they've done with those five players, Barnes, Curry, Yogi, Noel, and Finney Smith, yeah, I, I agree. Uh, if it were possible to agree a thousand percent with your previous statement, Kevin, I would. Oh, Kevin. If, were, if that were a oh, mathematical possibility. Oh, Kevin is sitting up a little taller now. Yes, he's, I am. He's patting himself on the back. But, but, but I, think, I think the key to the season was when Ted Stepien bought the uh, 76ers and, and, and made that trade. <laughs> Man, that was a blast in the past. You know, that's why Ted Stepien and his bad trades with the Mavs in the 80s are why there's a rule in place in the NBA that you can't trade future first-round picks in consecutive years. Right. That's right. Yeah, I, I forgot all about that. Yeah, that's yeah, absolutely if you, right. If you, do a trade, if you do a trade for future first, you can't say, I'll give you my 2019 and 2020 first-round picks. It has to be 2019 and 2021. So... A little bit of trivia there for everybody. I, I just I I don't know why Ted Stepien came, came into my mind. Yeah, but there's no point. telling what anything comes into your mind and why the reason is for that. But Mark That's has to go. That's a good question. It but, really is. Yes, Mark. It's great to have you on. We appreciate you taking all the time. Great insight. We're going to have you on again uh, soon, as soon as possible, uh, because we okay. want to talk about more yeah. of this stuff. Thanks, Mark. Anytime, as long as I don't have a road trip to go on or a vacation to go <laughs> on in Mexico when you ask. Absolutely. <laughs> Be well. All right. Okay. Thanks, Mark. Travel safe. And there goes right, there goes Mark Falwell. He's one of our favorites. He's a great guy. Uh, not only because he likes us, he, he likes you. You don't care. You, you just care that he likes you. No, he likes you too. He like he reads the paper. He likes us. Uh, that, what's more to like? And he likes being on without Evan Grant here. No, he loves being on with Evan. He he he'd like to be on with Evan. He likes to talk baseball with Evan. He's a big baseball fan. So we, do we have to go now? Because we have other podcasts coming up. We do. We have a Cowboys podcast with John Johnny Matches Machota. We'll talk, uh, and, uh, we'll talk NFL about the free com- agency and, and the, the combine. combine. Absolutely. And then we'll have Evan on. Evan, I think, you know, will be one of our guests today uh, to talk about the, uh, about the Rangers and what's going on in Surprise. I think maybe he can give us what his prediction or his prognosis, projection of what the Ranger ro- roster will be. Uh, you think he'll be able to do I, that? I think so because I think it's online right now. Evan Grants. He like he likes when 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 they have a roster or anything. Evan writes. Evan likes it when they start at Evan Grants. Evan Grants projection. Evan Grants. You know, it's Evan thoughts. Grants Rangers is what he wants it to be. Yeah. Does, it, does he want to, let him drop the Texas? Yeah. No kidding. Evan Grants Rangers. 
All right. Anyway, so that's uh, that's our uh, Mavericks podcast for the, for for this week. We we hope that you will listen uh, to our other podcasts we have coming up, and we'll be at those shortly. Thank you. Bye. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe via iTunes. You'll get new episodes every week. And follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Until next time, sports fans, see ya.